I'm Charles Legg, compiler of the Daily Mail's long-running Answers to Correspondence page. Here we answer all the weird and wonderful questions sent in by our readers. In this podcast, I'm going to answer your questions on everything from entertainment to history, from science to sport, from the sensible to the surreal, all with the help of the Daily Mail's top experts. Now, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify, and leave us a review. In this edition, we'll be focusing on the world of pop music, in particular chart number ones. Delighted that joining me today is the Daily Mail music critic Adrian Thrills. Hello. Mary from Shropshire asked, "Why is the Beatles' first number one single, Please Please Me, not on their CD number one, which is meant to include all their number one hits?" Any music correspondent and most inhabitants of planet Earth are Beatles fans. I know you are, Adrian. Oh yeah, massively. The Beatles, the most successful pop group in Britain, they've had 17 number one hits in the UK. 13 of these also went to the top of the USA charts. In the USA, a further five singles went to number one, which failed to make the top of the UK charts. The Beatles' first single in the UK to reach number one was From Me To You in 1963. And their first USA number one hit was, do you know? I'll test you here. <laughs> Love Me Do in 1962. Hence the Beatles had a number one hit in the USA before they had a number one hit in the UK. Please Please Me was the second single the Beatles issued in the UK and it reached number two in the official charts released by a record retailer. The charts started on November the 14th, 1952. Now this is where you come in, Adrian. I understand there were rival charts... Well, I think from 1963 onwards, the uh, the BBC and Top of the Pops, um, Radio 1 as it, as it later became, all used what became known as the official chart, which I think was published in a magazine called Record Retailer. But um, before that, and also contemporaneously with that, there, there was a every music paper had its own chart. I mean, I, I did my time as a, as a cub reporter on NME in the 1980s, and I can uh, remember... Monday mornings were quite often, you know, a call to arms. Anyone in the office would be on the list of people ringing around record shops to get their sales figures from the previous week, which then went off into a scientific process. A, a very scientific <laughs> process, and um, it was remarkable actually how how similar our chart would be to the official one. There was sometimes odd little differences, but it was generally very similar. And of course, the Beatles, you know, please please me. It wasn't number one in the enemy and Melody Maker, I believe, but not in the uh, official chart. Hence, its uh, exclusion from the uh, the one CD, which was a huge selling compilation album that came out in the year two thousand. I think it was the, I think it actually became the biggest selling album of that decade. So, biggest selling album of the noughties. And uh, yeah, there's some there's some kind of dispute. There's a couple of little quirks with that album in terms of what actually constitutes the Beatles number one. Obviously, you have the the UK singles and the American singles. Um, and I understand you found a, another one. That well, there's should another. Be on that. Well, there's obviously there was um, 
There was double A sides, which uh, Day Tripper and We Can Work It Out. That was a double A side, number one. So both those tracks feature. Then there's another another double A side, which was Strawberry Fields Forever and Penny Lane. Um, in the UK, that was kept from the top spot by Engelbert's Release Me. Um, <laughs> of course. But Penny Lane actually did make it as a standalone single to number one in the States. So uh, so that makes the cut. So it does make the cut. Penny okay. Lane does, but Strawberry yeah. Fields Forever, one of the greatest Beatles songs, is it's notable by its absence from the one album. Um, uh, there's another strange little quirk in, in the song um, For You Blue, which is a pretty... You know, little well, one of the lesser-known Beatles. It's album a, a George Harrison number. It's a George Harrison yeah. number. A really nice little blues ditty, but you bit know, of slide a, guitar on there from John Lennon. Nice, nice that, slide yeah. guitar from from Lennon on that track, and it was actually the it was the song that Paul McCartney and Eric Clapton sang at the George Harrison tribute show okay. at the Royal Albert Hall after after George's death. Um, but um, in, in the UK, it was just an album track. It was on the Let It Be album. Um, in the States, it was the B-side to The Long and Winding Road, which was a number one hit in the States. And it was basically, it was marketed as the B-side, but um, Billboard, who compiled the American charts, around that time, they were in the habit of crediting certain B-sides, I think it was the ones that picked up quite a lot of airplay in their own right, um, as double A-sides. So, so in the States, For You Blue is actually officially listed as double a side in ah. the billboard charts and it, it's the it's the 28th track the one that got away from the one album well that segues nicely into our next question which is from alan in cambridge who asks hot chocolate smash hit you sexy thing was a b-side which other b-sides have outperformed the a-side how does this sound for a group of era defining a-sides 13 women and only one man in town by bill haley and the comets Woman in Love by Gene Vincent and Schoolboy Crush by Cliff Richard and the Shadows. You might be forgiven for never having heard of these, I'm sure you have, Adrian. Yet they are records that changed the face of pop music. They're from the days of vinyl, when singles had two physical sides, one featuring the track from the record company, which they thought would be a hit, the A side, and one that just needed filling, the B side. The original B sides were Rock Around the Clock, Bebopalula and Move It, Britain's first rock and roll hit. Can you think of any other examples, Adrian? I think there's a few. Um, I think one of the uh, perhaps slightly sad things about the era of streaming that we, we're now in is that the uh, the B side, the flip side, as it was sometimes called, is it's now extinct. It's a thing of the past. No one, you know, you just put out tracks. So there's no um, A side or B side. They're, they're just individual tracks. Um, um, so yeah, I mean, there are. I think there's a couple. Of, I mean, the, the real classic example I can think of, uh, um, of course, is uh, Rod Stewart's "Maggie May" from 1971, which and was a, it was a B-side, the B-side to "Reason to Reason Believe." To believe. So yeah. Tim Harden, lovely song, song yeah, song, yeah, two great songs actually. It shows how prolific and uh, how on top of his game Rod was at that time. I mean, he, he it, could, it was his voice was, yeah. was terrific at the time, wasn't it? He was so. just he was in his imperial phase yeah. at, at that time and. Uh, you know that was you know both reason to believe and Maggie May. Um, I think that was a case. I think that one it actually started out. Reason to believe was the track that that got all the all the traction, and then gradually people started to listen to Maggie May, and it, uh, it kind of came round to being the, uh, the the better known song. The um, I mean the other one I the, the classic one for me from the eighties, uh, the Smiths. Um, 
How Soon Is Now, one of their kind of iconic tracks with great kind of Johnny Marr. Fantastic riff. Guitar, guitar sound. Yeah, real kind of great, gritty, like Bo Diddley riff. Um, that was the B-side to uh, to William. It was really nothing. Not one of the, the most remarkable Smiths singles. And in fact, it was a, it was a double B-side. There was How Soon Is Now and another really great Smiths song, Please, 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 Let Me Get What I Want, which is a... Again, become kind of enshrined in in the Smiths folklore as one of their kind of classic songs. So you had two classic B sides and maybe a slightly throwaway A side. I'm going to throw out a couple more here from our readers. Another Beatles connection. I am the Walrus, classic surrealistic song by John Lennon, was the B side to a little bit of fluff by Paul McCartney. Hello, goodbye. Which I don't know. You might like. Which do you prefer? <laughs> I, I, I prefer the little bit of fluff. I think Hello, okay. goodbye is a great. Kind of I think great, it is, and that, kind of that, that, that's song. Ma- it's just yeah. McCartney's genius, isn't it? Yeah, was, was picking a melody, and he'll still, you know, he'll still McCartney still throws those songs into his his live set. I mean, he, he, you know, I saw McCartney at the end of last year, and you know, maybe the voice isn't quite what it was, but the the musicianship and the affection and the manner in which he curates those songs is is superb. And he, you know, he'll do a live show that he'll do tracks going right back to I saw him in Liverpool he did a song by the Quarrymen the pre-Beatles band right through to current solo stuff which is good and a little I have to say a lot of Wings stuff I think he's uh, I think he's made, making it his mission at the moment to rehabilitate the critical reputation of Wings revive the Wings yeah. that's, a, that's a good mission uh, just a, a couple more uh, Gloria Gaynor's classic disco hit I Will Survive was the B-side to the Righteous Brothers uh, song called Substitute which I don't know no, that's, no, that's good. Yeah. I'm pleased you don't do that. And also, the Righteous Brothers' own uh, version of Unchained Melody, produced by Phil Spector in 1965, was the B-side of a song called Hung On You. So I think I know which I prefer. The Wanderer by Dion Demucci as well, written by Ernie Maresca, who'd written uh, Run Around Sue, was also a B-side to The Majestic. Mike from Harrogate asks... How many pop songs have been number one on more than one occasion? Only five songs have made number one on two occasions. That is the very same version of the song by the same artist. Two artists have made it to the top spot with different versions of their song. Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody was number one on its release in 1975 and returned to the top 16 years later, following the death of lead singer Freddie Mercury. The song was top of the charts in four different years, it was at the top at the end of 1975 and the beginning of 1976, then again in 1991 and beginning in 1992. George Harrison's My Sweet Lord was number one on its release in 1971 and returned to the top 31 years later following Harrison's death in November 2001. Sadly, there's a theme here. Elvis's Jailhouse Rock, One Night, I Got Stung and It's Now or Never, all revisited the top spot as part of a 2005 series of reissues. Three Lions by Badil Skinner and the Lightning Seeds was the official song of the England football team for Euro 96. The England squad's performance in the 2018 World Cup propelled a new version of the song with revised lyrics to the number one spot 22 years after its initial success. Cliff Richard had two number ones with his song Living Doll. The first was backed by the Drifters in 1959 and the second, of course, by the young ones in 1986. Do you have a favourite there? Uh, well, I was always very, as a football fan, I was always very partial to Three Lions, particularly having gone to a lot of the uh, Euro 96 games at Wembley, seen the way 
as England progressed from from pretty dismal beginnings into like a, you know a, a very successful tournament team, that song almost kind of I think it was at half time in the, the second fixture the crowd suddenly started singing it and it just from there it just kind of took off I think it was um, it was very strange seeing that song you know obviously I think it's a very good song actually nice kind of slightly Beach Boys kind of pastiche from um, Ian Brody of the Lightning Seeds but it, it was fascinating to see the way as England improved their performances that single you know took off and, and went to number one I do prefer the original to yeah. the uh, I mean I love George Hamilton by Sweet Lord yeah, as well. it's, a, it's, it's a beautiful you know, song, brilliant song lovely guitar sound really kind of nice but three lines has, has of yeah. course been commandeered by various other football teams as well so the Germans I believe oh, I think they, they do yeah, yeah they know yeah, Wussball's coming home exactly yes. I, mean, it's also, I mean there's also there's, there's songs that have topped the charts in, in you know different versions of the same song the obvious example being you know do they know it's Christmas the Band-Aid yes. single I think that's now top the charts in four different uh, incarnations um, and um, and there's various qualities of the incarnation the original being it's the still best. the best still the best still the yeah. best that's often yeah. the way but one of them was yeah particularly poor I remember yeah and I think the original it's very much it's it's a moment in time as well isn't it it just captured a kind of particularly stellar breed of, of British pop star you had all those huge stars of the 80s Boy George Weller George Michael Spando Duran Duran Banana Armour just all yeah. in it together at the it top was, of their game just, you know so you know that was um, you know the, yeah, the original certainly the best in that instance I mean, the, the the other one that's done it three times, which I think is a record, is Unchained Melody. I think that's done it four as well, actually. Has it done it I four? Think I think they've both done it four times. Ah, right, yeah. you've going to have to help me out here. Um, uh, we've, got, I, uh, we've got Jimmy Young. Jimmy Young. Number one. Then um, Righteous Brothers, of course, probably the most famous version. Yeah, the, the classic. Robson and Jerome. And uh, Pop Idol runner-up Gareth Gates Gareth as well. Gareth Gates, of course, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, where's Gareth these days? Yeah, he's uh, he's he's not really. Uh, and Gareth features the, again the though because "Spirit in the Sky" by Norman yeah. Greenbaum was a number one in 1970, mm. and then it, that was followed up by "Doctor and the Medics" in yeah, 1986. Not a bad which was, cover, good which cover. Was a good version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, there was Gareth Gates and the Kumars. Yeah, there's that comic relief. Uh, comic relief. Yeah, yeah. Which which I profess I can't. Can't recall. But. Uh, just got some <laughs> distant memory. I just think I might have banished that one from uh, banish that one memory banks. Alan from Carlisle asks, who were the youngest and oldest artists to top the charts? The youngest artist to receive a singing credit on the number one UK hit is little Jimmy Osmond with long-haired lover from Liverpool. The song topped the charts on November the 25th, 1972. Jimmy was nine years and eight months old at the time. Interestingly, the B-side was a cover of Neil Reed's Mother of Mine, recorded nine months previously. At 12 years, nine months, Neil was the youngest person to have had a number one in the album charts. Donny Osmond is the second youngest to record a number one, which was... Puppy Love, Puppy surely, Love, isn't it? Of yeah. course, yes. Unfortunately, both songs were voted into Channel 4's TV's Top 100 Worst Ever Songs. <laughs> compilation travesty travesty. absolute travesty (laughs) the youngest female artist to reach number one is helen shapiro in june 1961 with you don't know she was 14 years and 10 months old she was still at school at the time and headlined a uk tour with the beatles the beatles yeah in support 
But the imminent success and the, the arrival of the newer sound and images spelt the end of a pop career for the mature and somewhat square teenager portrayed by Helen Shapiro. Curiously, Marie Osmond, sibling and nine months Helen's junior, almost usurped Shapiro's feast. Gary Glitter's I Love You Love Me Love kept the 14-year-old's paper roses firmly in second place for four weeks in 1973 and denied the Osmond family a unique double. What do you make of the Osmonds these days, Adrian? Uh, well, I think they're still they're still going strong. I certainly were a few years ago. I went to see them open a tour in, in Belfast and they're... Uh, they, they can kind of rock out I mean they're a slightly more mature band with a slightly more mature audience these days but uh, I mean never my cup of tea really I was, no. I was always more of a David Cassidy man are we? Okay. <laughs> poor old David Cassidy yeah I mean yeah. he was a talented performer wasn't he in his time so. yeah I guess you know he had a few good tunes there a few good so, tunes yeah. a few good tunes I mean as, as we're talking about some of the youngest artists to top the charts I think one of the things about those Singles, particularly you know something like Little Jimmy Osmond, there's there's a distinct whiff of novelty about these these child stars. What I, what I found slightly more interesting is the, the kind of serious musicians who, who started their careers really young. I mean, like take yep. a, as an example in the 60s, you know, Steve Winwood, who joined the Spencer Davis Group at the age of 14, and he had his first number one sang on his first number one single, Keep On Running, at 17. Had another number one with Somebody Help Me, um, still before he's old enough to vote uh, but you know it's gone on to have a really serious career with you know traffic solo yep. artists blind faith uh, even some of the, the kind of punk artists think of uh, Richard Jobson of the skids and Suggs of madness were you know ha- having huge hits and appearing on top of the pops at the age of 17 and uh, and probably even now you see it in someone like you know, Billy Eilish the American singer who's only yep. 17 I She's think has got a real kind of solid future ahead of her so it's uh, you know, it's, it's not doesn't necessarily equate with a, a kind of short-term no, it's career. No, it's a good if, uh, point. I mean, there's, there's a real sophistication to Billy Eilish's music yeah. as well. I wonder how old was Van Morrison when he started with them? Yeah, I, mean, I would think again. He, yeah, he'd have been a young man, wouldn't he? He'd have been very young you know, in the early 60s. He was playing yeah. with brass bands as a kid. And yeah. Then, uh, he still had the big voice even then, didn't yeah. he? So. Yeah. Well, let's, should we give the oldest a go? This was for many years, uh, the record was held by Louis Armstrong, who became the oldest when he reached number one on April the 24th, 1968, for four weeks, at the age of 67 years and 10 months old, with What a Wonderful World. Louis remained the oldest person to reach number one until March 2009, when Tom Jones, who else, teamed up with Ruth Jones, Rob Bryden and Robin Gibb, of the Bee Gees and took their cover version of Islands in the Stream to number one in the aid of Comet Relief. Tim, Tom was 68 years and 10 months old at the time, making him the oldest person ever to top the charts. Cher, Cher was the oldest woman to have a number one hit single in the UK, when in November 1998, at the age of 52 years and six months, she reached number one with Do You Believe in Life After Love? What do you think of that song? <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it's a really well put together pop dance single with uh, one of the first hits that uh, relied on the now ubiquitous phenomenon of auto tune, which is, you know, you kind of hear it over every sort of kind of R&B and rap hit uh, these days. I think, sure, you know, even at 52, she was she was in the cutting edge of, of pop. And, uh, you know, it's a... Yeah, I think the auto tune's become the bane of the industry, yeah, hasn't it? I yeah. I mean, a lot of perhaps lesser artists survive 
because of that. Yeah. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, although I, I, I would add the caveat that I think some of the rap and R&B acts do use it as in a kind of more inventive way. Yeah. They use it as a, as a kind of production tool to, 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 to acquire a certain sound um, rather than just correct any glitches in, your, in the tone of your voice. So, Adrian, could you guess who the um, oldest uh, singer to have had a number one album is? It would have to be Dame Vera, isn't it? Dame Vera yeah, Lynn. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think uh, it was it was a it was a best of album, wasn't it? That uh, I think it topped the charts two thousand and nine. And deservedly so. Yeah. Age of ninety seven. Yeah. Not bad for nonagenarian. Yeah. <laughs> and and she had a top ten album. Um, I think called fittingly enough 100 on the, the year of her 100th birthday as well it didn't go to number one but I think it was again quite a sizable hit so the first centenarian to, to, to chart um, I mean I think you know the, 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 the old artists are having a, a field day still even now and I think if you look at someone like Tony Bennett who, who played London recently he had a, a top 10 album five years ago the collaboration with Lady Gaga a really good jazz album Cheek to Cheek I mean, Tony is a phenomenal performer still. Um, I think the most glorious revival was Leonard Cohen sort of 10, 15 years ago now. Sadly, yeah. he passed away, but uh, he'd almost been forgotten about, hadn't he? He was stuck in a Buddhist monastery. I yeah, yeah. And he came back and Hallelujah has been sung by just about everyone yeah. since, haven't they? We'll, we'll go on to our next question, which is from Bob from Edinburgh. Has a politician ever had a number one song in the charts and we touched on Cher before and of course it was her former husband Sonny Bono a former United States Republican congressman and they had a number one with the absolute classic I Got You Babe which he wrote himself I believe yeah and he was I mean he was an amazing I mean he was part of the uh, the wrecking crew along with Glenn Campbell and a few others who kind of played on all those Phil, classic Phil Spector songs of the early 60s so a really kind of you know a, a proper authentic musician interesting um example of this is the only politician in the uk to have had a song in the charts while serving as an mp they're not by choice perhaps uh is the lib dem leader nick clegg or former lib, lib dem leader nick clegg his apology over tuition fees was remixed into a hilarious track called i'm sorry by alex ross for the satirical website the poke the song reached number 104 in the UK singles chart, so it didn't do that well. But it was 35 on the iTunes download chart, which is a very contemporary way of, uh, of uh, measuring chart success these days. Yeah. How do you think they fare with uh, using digital downloads as a measure of chart success? Well, it's very, it, it, it makes it very hard to equate one era with another because, obviously, physical sales of records have generally declined you know you know substantially since the 60s 70s and 80s but of course now everyone listens to the music um via streaming so the official charts company who compile the charts have to devise some kind of various formulas whereby they can equate streams i think it's a hundred streams that are kind of on your spotify when you subscribe to a, a music streaming service i think a hundred streams equate to one sale and I think with the free streaming services, they, I think it's something like 600 streams to, you know, to a, a single sale. But um, it, yeah, it's very different. I mean, the charts are a very different thing. I remember when I was uh, was growing up, the actual announcement of the chart on a, I think it was on two Tuesday lunchtime, me and my, my school friends, we'd be kind of 
kind of behind the bike sh sheds with our transistor radios listening to the new rundown and and even as recently as the as the 80s no one you know these week you get these days you get midweek chart positions everybody knows five days in advance what the chart's going to be pretty more or less whereas even, even as recently as the 80s and 90s you didn't know until the sunday rundown what was going to be the uh well i remember the, the it charts. being a big event at school yeah and we used yeah, to record just, it yeah, and then blank out the dj you'd have to have your hand on, yeah on the pause button yeah for that reason but um yeah so which is more effective the nme phoning around chart or the arbitrary well, I just <laughs> think it's, it's different. It's different, it's different, different, different eras, aren't they? And eras. you know, they're still. Um, I, I don't know if the chart, you know, the chart, relying with with streaming, it tends to be a bit more static. It doesn't move as much because people they listen to a record for for a long time after they first hear it. So records tend to have a have a longer lifespan. In fact, we've had have had a lot of um, quite long running number one singles over the last. Uh, sort of few years you know drake's one dance i think was uh, 15 weeks at number one ed sheeran of course in addition to dominating the rest of the top 10 shape of you was number one for 14 weeks Ouch. um you know likewise justin bieber 11 weeks with <laughs> despachito so how does that compare to the brian adams well, of course he had something like 16 odd weeks didn't he i mean yeah. they were big and is that the record still i think it may be and wet 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 um with a little help from my friends another beatles song um, yeah, they had a long stint at um, number one as well. Joe Cocker did it better. Yeah, well, yeah, probably the Beatles probably did it better. Be well, that's yeah, true. Yeah. I think Joe Cocker did it just. Yeah, it was his, his was a great version. So that's all we've got time for now. And thank you ever so much, Adrian, for coming and joining, it's a pleasure. joining me and giving us your pop knowledge, which is extensive and very yes. impressive. I'll go, I'll research my Beatles, uh, American number ones again. Good job. Yeah. Thank you very much. That's all we've got time for this week, but I'll be back with you and another expert guest in two weeks' time. Don't forget, you'll be able to listen back to this and all our other MailPlus podcasts at mailplus.co.uk or via Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.